guys. We turned out okay. The Modern Parent's Guide to Old School Parenting. I want to hang upside down from the swing set. Welcome to We Turned Out Okay with host Karen Locke Cole. I want to climb to the top of that tree. And now, here's your host, Karen Locke Cole. Guest has worked with children for nearly 25 years as a special educator and classroom teacher, as a homeschooling parent and facilitator of her own children's learning and others as well, including my children's. She's also an author, she's a blogger, and most recently she's the founder of something that looks to me like the future of education. She and I have been friends for 10 years, and through that time, we've supported each other in our parenting, our health crises, our worries and joys, and I'm privileged and honored to bring on the show today a thoughtful and creative person, a great mom and a great teacher, someone I know you will love getting to know. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Nicole Olson. Welcome, Nicole. Oh, thank you. And I'm like getting a little teary. (laughs) (laughs) You sprung that on me. I'm so happy to be doing this. I feel like this is a long time coming. And you know what's really cool about it is every time we talk about it, there's something new that we're like, oh, now we can talk about this. Oh, now we can talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. So even better. I'd love at the beginning, I really want to start with the, how I first got to know you, which was you were teaching classes out of your home, which Mm -hmm. is where we are right now. Mm -hmm. And um, like my, our kids were all much smaller. I mean, that was eight, seven, well, nine nine, I think nine years ago, it started. And um, you taught math and science. And I feel like that's because that's what you loved. And I'm just kind of wondering if you could like, describe that time in your life and how you came to offer those classes. If that makes any sense? Yeah, that was about a year into my homeschooling journey. And year one, I had just set up a little classroom for Thomas, who at the time was my only school-age child. And I did school for one. Mm -hmm. And it did not go well. (laughs) (laughs) Because Thomas had no interest in school for one. He wanted a mom and he wanted to, you know, just be together with me. And he was? He was five turning six that year. So it would have been kindergarten for him. And I had it all planned out and I had all my standards, you know, the teacher's standard, everything was all. And after like three days of that he said to me could we just play and I, I did I said no <laughs> said no <laughs> we can't because you know this is homeschooling yeah and after almost a year of that I realized that's not working for him at yeah. all so was it the kind of like you're at the table here's your worksheets yep. here's your you know checklist for today mm-hmm. kind of a thing yeah yeah so by by the end of that year um, I had met some people, I had learned a little bit about different ways that people were homeschooling. And I thought, okay, we can try this. Um, And I wanted Thomas to connect with some of the people, some of the families that I had connected with. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, this would be sort of a middle ground, I can offer some classes that are fun, or at least I hope are fun. Uh, He can get to know some kids his age, I can get to know some of the moms. Mm -hmm. And so it just seemed like a good way to kind of join a community. So that's how it came and about. I think it really was. I mean, so was that was that a village thing? Like, would you consider that? A, well, like, so it, just for listeners, we have this. I remember being at a meeting with our friend Adele and our friend Gary. And um, it was just a, it was like a sort of, in our neighborhood, because Gary and, and the Gregory's used to live right down the road. Actually, yeah. Angela Gregory has been on the show. She's the attorney for, oh my gosh, I'm, I need to. 
this is why I have a pencil, so I remember what to link to. So I'm going to link to the roundtable with with Dina and Angela. Uh, it was at Angela's house that we had this first meeting, and I remember I don't I don't think you were I there, wasn't there. Nope. but uh, from it came this idea of the village of Greater Milford homeschoolers, mm-hmm. and so we still. I mean, I even feel like today we are we're still kind of loosely affiliated with that. It's gotten huge. I mean, it started with like ten families or something, yeah. and we used to send each other emails about where the park day was going to be and stuff like that. And uh, it's it's grown into this just massive, very unschooly is how I think of it. So again, for listeners, so like a lot of our listeners are not homeschoolers and don't know anything about it. So I feel like I want to, I want to kind of go back a little bit and talk about our experiences of, of that, which is really why I wanted to start where, you know, where we started. But when I think about it, um, like you and I were both teachers. So we came into this with a little bit of the like, uh, okay, it's school, it's school, we must do school things. And um, what I think what we both learned was that n- not really like, no, because that's not what works. That's not what they need. And I, I know for, for my oldest, for Max, like your classes that you offered were just just interest led enough and just sort of non-academic like he didn't sniff any sort of oh this is going to be this is school in disguise exactly yeah 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 (laughs) um and that he he loved them I mean he really he really really enjoyed them and um it's not, I mean, there are some different ways of homeschooling. Like my goal on this show today is not to convince everybody to drop what they're doing in homeschool. I, I really, and I think you feel this way too. Like it's just, it's not for everyone. I think right now, something like two or 3% of the population, children population is homeschooled. And um, for a while it was going up. I don't think it's going up anymore. I think we've sort of hit a, a little bit of a level because the people who are doing it, well, they're the ones who feel like they can do it you know? And I think my concern for listeners is that you guys listening get the sense that you don't have to homeschool. What, what you got to do is find and support your child's like thirst for learning, like to make it fun, to make it interesting, to not be like, okay, it's time to eat your peas, you know, oh, it's time to do your reading like that, Mm -hmm. that kind of a thing. That's, I feel like that's maybe what Thomas was feeling your oldest was like mm-hmm. oh my gosh my mom is just doing this like like it would like it was school and that didn't work for you for him right and consequently it didn't work for me yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and at the time you also had so you've got two younger twins right and they are how much younger than thomas they are two years five months younger than him and then and then little maggie, and then maggie. my little maggie <laughs> <laughs> she's eight years old she's all grown tall and like just adorable. I mean, they're all, they're all adorable. Uh, and, and Nicole and I were remembering that I used to, like, she used to let me hold her. I, I mean, mean, one of the few people she yeah. would allow. Yeah. Hold. Most she, of the time I wore her, but she that's would, right. you were able to hold her. Yeah. And so I, you would have her and I'd have Max and we would be off and We'd running. We'd be good. Yeah. 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 That's right. Because oftentimes you were in doing doing you know whatever activity it was with the older kids and then like the rest of us would be like I remember I running around with Jay and because Jay at the time was like two or something he was so little oh my gosh um but I feel like that's one of the neat I think feel like one of the lessons that anyone can take from from listening to homeschoolers is that there's I feel like there's a couple of things one of them is learning's got to mean something to kids it's got to be fun I mean, it doesn't have to be like joyful. We're all, you know, clicking our heels together because it's like super fun. But it's got to be 
you have to be invested in it. But then it also, I won't say it works best, but it's great when it's multi-age, mm. you know, when it, when it doesn't, you don't cut somebody off because, oh, now you're 12. Sorry, you can't do this anymore. Mm. I mean, my, my Jay still, he's got a, he's got a teddy bear that has a, like a, a rockin' personality. I mean, he's like, if he becomes a puppeteer, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, he just, he's, he, you know, he's 13 and he's, he's a tough kid and he plays soccer and he's, you know, got all these big ideas and he loves his video games where he gets to blow things up. And, but, but there's at his heart, I mean, he's still, he's still, how can I say this? He's still like so full of empathy that he, he, he makes his bears talk to each other and to us and mm. stuff like that. It's mm. just cool. You know? So, so anyway, <laughs> off track. One of the, I know what, one of the things I wanted to, uh, share about those classes was the time. So it morphed a little bit. It went from math to like in real sort of, you know, using unit unifix cubes and, and, um, learning about patterns and cool stuff like that to like a sort of math science where I can remember one, do you remember one day? You know what I'm going to talk about. I know about, what you're going to talk about. It's one of my favorite memories. <laughs> it was the field trip for bugs. Mm-hmm. I actually have done a podcast episode on this. All right. So I'm linking to the round table and I'm linking to the field trip for bugs episode. Um, what, what did, what did the field trip for bugs look? So what we did was the moms each took turns bringing stuff, right? Or No, I think you brought most everything. Oh, really? I think you did. You were all over that. Yeah. <laughs> it was fun. It was very fun. Yeah. So, okay. So that day, we arrive at your house, Karen, Max, and Jay. Max is maybe seven, seven or eight, I think, at that point. Mm-hmm. And uh, what did we bring with us? What did we do that day? So we had, you had brought, I don't, was it a tarp or a shoe? You had something. And I remember we, we were out on my back deck, and it was a yeah. perfect day for it. And dirt. Yep. With bugs. Yep. It was so much fun. Yep. Yeah. I dug up a bunch of dirt from my backyard yep. and I put it in a recycling bin and I brought it over here and poured it out on like a sheet or a tarp yeah. or something like yeah. that. And the, the thing that was, that is so cool about that, uh, activity is what you do to the, what you do with the kids is you say, listen, I talked to the mommy and daddy bugs in my backyard and they agreed to let their kids come on a bug field trip. But they ask that you be really super careful with them and that you return them to the, to the mommies and daddies, like, you know, because they love their children and they're going to want that. And I mean, the kids were just so invested in that. And, yeah. and we had like, uh, we had uh, shovels or like, um, not shovels, like but those trowels. Yeah, almost, trowels, exactly. Yeah. Digging tools yeah. and sketchbooks. Yeah. Um, one of the things I remember most about that day is my, my son, my oldest, is not, even today, he, he does not write unless he has to write. He does a lot more writing now, but he's 17, you know. But at the time, he was so carried away with, like, making sketches of bugs that day. I think, I think a lot of the kids yeah, were. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and even, if they, even if they were little, like, this is the thing, again, about multi-age. That multi-age so you got Maggie, line. who can't even walk yet, and she's sort of patting in the dirt, and she's letting bugs crawl on her. And, mm-hmm. you know, we had, like, gloves, gardening gloves, in case kids didn't want to touch the bugs, but yep. they wanted to be able yep. to see them. And, yep. Um, that's the kind of thing that I'm sure to you too, that represents like real learning, real deep, authentic. My kids still remember it, (laughs) you know, it stands out as that was a day that, that was just really fun. Mm -hmm. And they don't realize that deep learning was taking place too. To them, it was just really fun. fun. Yeah. 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 I think that's, 
when you get caught up in it, you know, um, I, I had somebody say to me, I think it was Ben, actually. We went and visited uh, relatives in Toronto, people I haven't seen for a year, some people I haven't seen for more than that, you know, and we had like this brunch and we're all hanging out together at brunch. And um, I kept getting into these deep conversations with, I mean, it was maybe a four or five hour thing. And I talked really intensively to like eight or 10 different people. It was awesome. And drank mimosas and, you know, (laughs) had, had a good time. And afterwards, Ben said, I was like, wasn't that fun? You know, he was, he says, it was so clear that you were just in your element. Mm. Like, and that's because what I think is super fun about that is, is just getting somebody else's ideas and like seeing how do they, how do they mesh with my own? Like what's, Mm. you know, what's, what new ideas am I learning here? And for me, that's, it's still real learning. Yeah. And And it was joyful. That's what really stood out to me was everybody was joyfully approaching these bugs or you know that there was a real and and I think our learning is so much more permanent when we're in that state of of joy and curiosity and yeah 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 it's so much more I mean it's just the difference between if you if you imagine Thomas sitting at a table confronting a worksheet and going like I cannot do this you know or when I think about the reason that we started homeschooling we started a little later than you um, was because Max had had two years plus of academic pressure that was so painful for him that he was, he was, he, he'd stopped eating. He was losing weight. He had migraine headaches. Yeah. I mean, um, long time listeners, you know, <laughs> you know the deal, but, um, <clears throat> and like a year later, you know, it took a little, I think it took immediately. He stopped having things like night terrors. He started only getting migraines when he was, was having screen time, but it took a while for other things things it's it surprised me I guess what took a while I don't know I'd, I'd like to ask like I'll share this about Max but then I'd love to hear what your experiences with this mm. after your year of worksheets you know or after your year of school quote unquote um we were sitting in our house one day and actually I feel like we had just come home from here and no I'm thinking of a different day here's something else emotional happened where the, t- we were here and he realized that Bakugan weren't real do you remember that day that was so tough. It was so tough. For- anyway, um, he had been playing dodgeball and he got out and um, he got hit in the shoulder to get out. But what he dropped to the ground screaming that his knee was hurting. I remember him. this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, later that day, he was able to say, for, this was like, this had to have been the following spring, maybe. So we're talking six, eight months later. He finally said, that he said about this dodgeball game, he said, my feelings were hurt. That hurt my feelings. And like until then, he had always taken hurt feelings and translated them into something physical. physical. Yeah, yeah. And I, I feel like a lot of, I mean, I used to do it. I think a lot of listeners probably wouldn't, maybe I almost didn't want it to be true that like he, like the physical pain when he would do that, I'd be like, you know, no, that's not true. You, you, that can't be right. And, um, after he was able to say my feelings are hurt and I was sort of looking back on these months and years of him translating, you know, emotional pain into physical pain. Mm. I was like, geez, like that's a real thing. Mm. You know, Mm. did that, did you see either that or, or something different from that with Thomas after you started kind of giving him the learning that he needed? Mm. We had two moments like that. And the, for me, the, the first one was probably more powerful because when I started homeschooling, even though we, you know, I was very much like, oh, we're doing school. We were only doing it while the girls were in preschool 
twice a week, I think. Mm -hmm. So it was like two hours twice a week. Mm -hmm. So it really didn't damage him all that much. Yeah, it's not like... But the year before, he had been in public preschool. He was on an IEP. Mm -hmm. And um, I get into all that in my book because that's a whole whole other story about him. But we had ended up taking him out uh, in February of his preschool year. And um, I remember... I had gotten a call from the principal. My mother was over. We were talking, and I was just lamenting that he was not thriving, and I didn't feel good about the the classroom he was in. I didn't feel like the teachers really understood him. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth with just taking him out. And, and it's like the, the word bubble was like still <laughs> it, it, hanging in the air when the phone rang, and it was his teacher who said, uh, Thomas is in the office. You'll need to pick him up there today. And I said, oh, uh, you know, what happened? Well, he was throwing snowballs. And I thought to myself, you sent my five-year-old to the principal because he threw a snowball? So I said, okay, thank you very much. I'll be right there. And would you please pack up his things? We won't be coming back. <laughs> We're never returning. <laughs> yep. And so... um like that's such a terrible thing. Oh he was throwing God. snowballs. Yeah, oh and and when I and this is part of the story, but it, it comes a little later, so I won't give it away. But um, when I got there, they had him brought back down to the room because the teacher said, "Well, you know, how can we how can we do this in a way that's you know a good closure?" And I agreed that we should, and so he came back down and sat down, and he was still in his winter coat, and he had his backpack on. His little cheeks were all red. Oh my God. And I said to him, Thomas, you know, your teacher and I have decided that school is not a happy place for you. And we both want you to be happy so you don't have to come back. And his whole body just sagged in relief. Mm. And he said, I told you I don't need to come here. <laughs> and he was right. He was right. He was right. Um, so that, so I, we took him out. That's when I saw... Um, all of his things improved, like you were saying, with Max and the migraines and all of that. We got better. Mm-hmm. We really started to see that. But about six or eight months in, we were coming home from someplace, and it was just him and me. And I pulled into the driveway, and he started telling me about his experience. Mm-hmm. And he had, he had never told me anything. He never wanted to talk about it. And it just all came pouring out. Wow. And, and that particular day, he and some of the other boys had been throwing snowballs, not even like at kids, just throwing I mean, them. Yeah, there's no harm in throwing a five. snowball. Yeah. 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 And, but they were sort of far away from where the teacher was. And when she had called, stop throwing those, the other two kids had heard and he hadn't heard. Mm-hmm. So he like threw one more and he had been singled out and sent to the principal. In preschool. In preschool. And he told me that day, he said to me, and it just broke my heart. He said, I just never understood why my teacher hated me so much. Oh my gosh. So that is really interesting because, because Max had the same feeling. So years later, I came across a, his first grade report card. So first grade was where he really, he really took a nosedive, like in terms of his health. And he sort of, he really lost his personality. I mean, to think about it now, you know, he's such a, He's such a vibrant 17-year-old, you know, with such good close friendships and he's such an empathetic and kind and knowledgeable kid and he's he's just it takes my breath away like like what that was like and uh, anyway, so he's now maybe 9 and I come across this thing he's been out of school since he was 7. And um 
I don't even think I mentioned it. I think somewhere in the same like few days. So I find this report card and I'm remembering that we took him out of first grade for two weeks in May to go spend time with my parents who happened to be in Myrtle Beach at the time. So we we had this great like family time together. And when he had been in kindergarten, he'd had... um, surgery on his uh his one of his achilles tendons he had to have it severed and reattached and lengthened and all this kind of stuff and um they had in kindergarten they had basically sent him home with a journal for him to write and draw his experiences and he loved that i mean he dove right into that that was one of the few great things about pre about kindergarten that kind of you know he that stuck out in our minds and it was about his surgery which is so funny (laughs) um in first grade, I was expecting like, oh, you know, they'll hand him a journal and we'll go off. Well, his first grade teacher was so up in arms. We were apparently giving her extra weeks of work because she had to she had to get together all these worksheets for him. He took two. We were gone for two, two weeks, I believe. And in those two weeks, she had like 60 worksheets for him to complete. And at least half of them were math worksheets. Mm. I mean, we're on vacation, for goodness sakes. Like this isn't. And as if it totally discounts any authentic learning that might have yeah. been happening about yeah. we're in this new place, I'm exploring yeah. the beach. I mean, like, can you imagine the journaling he could have done about what he was finding on the beach and all this kind of stuff? Yeah. I've, I mean, my personal feeling is the math can wait. You know, you, you just because you're, you lose two weeks of learning to add doesn't mean you're never going to be able to add. Anyway, okay, I'll get off that soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he, at the end of that year, uh, she was very, his teacher was very angry with us. And so in his report card, it said um, something along the lines of Max would have had a much better last term if you had not taken him on vacation. And we were like, are you kidding me? (laughs) I mean, really? And then, so somewhere around when I found that he's now nine, he is, he's he's taking your classes. He's having a ball. Um, He's thriving. Right. And I come across this. And at the same time, approximately Max says to me, I remember that my first grade teacher hated me and, and that I couldn't do math. And I was like, so neither of those things are true. (laughs) I mean, she really didn't. I think she was very overwhelmed. She had, she was an older teacher. She was really close to retirement. She didn't have any help. She had at least one kid who should have had a, like a permanent one-to-one aid. And the thing that's so sad about that is that kid, um, was autistic and, 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 uh, not destructive, but like outwardly, he would say things in class, like, I'm going to kill myself and then I'm going to kill, I'm going to kill all of you. And then I'm going to kill myself. I mean, it was so, I mean, my heart broke for that family too, because he wasn't getting the services that he needed. He Mm -hmm. just wasn't, it was just, Oh, so bad. Um, and Anyway, so I just think it's really interesting that both of our kids had the same experience of like, that woman hated me. And it's like, no, she didn't. But that's how I mean, yeah, that's how they make sense of it. At five, you know, your your experiences are so limited. And this was somebody who didn't understand him, punished him a lot. It felt to him like she hated him. And and coincidentally, it was very similar. She was older. She was a few years away from retirement. Mm -hmm. She had just had back surgery which hadn't worked so she was facing more so she was in pain a lot so you know there were a lot of a lot of mitigating factors there and the class he was supposed to be in who uh, the the teacher he was supposed to have who we loved he had met he was excited to be Mm. with her 
um, they didn't have enough enrollment. So they collapsed her class like the week before school started and put everybody in this woman's class. So she was definitely overwhelmed. Yeah. Yeah. So I know all of that. He didn't, you know, he didn't have all that background information and his interpretation of all of it was there's something wrong with me and she hates me and I can't even figure out why. So I can't make it better. So what do you, what do you, what would you say to a person who basically says, well, you know what? It builds character or something. I'm not even asking this in a, in like a facetious way. Like I'm really genuinely curious. Like if somebody, an administrator or a school person were to say, well, you know what? It's, it's good for a kid to, to work with people that they don't get along with or that don't, I don't know, that don't work with them or whatever. I mean, what yeah. do you think about that? I'm a big fan of what I, what I like to call comfortable stretching. Mm-hmm. That's what I came up with Thomas, with Thomas. Um, because I think that we do need to be challenged. We do need to be encouraged to take a step outside where we would normally go. But if we're asked to go too far or too fast or by somebody who we don't really feel is on our side, mm-hmm. then I think then you get into the realm of damage. Yes. So I've always, I've always said to him and to my other kids, comfortable stretches mean it feels a little bit uncomfortable. It feels a little bit new. You're not quite sure, but you, you can give it a try. Um, and, and to me, that that's, term. yeah, that's, that's always been my go-to word. Uh, anything really past that for too long, I think kids sustain damage. And I, I definitely watched Thomas become, you know, damaged by that experience. Yeah. I and mean, we, us too, we described yeah. it as his, he lost his personality. It, so did Thomas. You know? I remember saying, I don't, I don't even know this little boy. Yeah. He stopped laughing. He stopped yep. making stuff up. He stopped uh, playing. He just stopped yeah. all that stuff. So. We had pictures from that time period and in not one picture was he smiling. Wow. So, you know, what does that say? Yeah. Yeah. So, says a lot. And I've talked to so many parents who have that same story where they just watch their child sort of morph right in front of their eyes into somebody they didn't, they didn't know anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've heard this too. Um, I love this idea of, I think it's so true. Like some kids are really resilient and, and, and they'll take, so, you know, if you've got somebody saying, oh, it builds character, right? Maybe there are kids who that's, that's more easy for them. And I don't, I'm sure we've talked about this before, the idea of the orchids and the dandelions. Mm -hmm. So an orchid, well, I'll start with dandelions. I think a dandelion is a, if you think of a child who's like a dandelion, well, they can grow wherever they're planted. They, they don't need special care. They are incredibly adaptable and they will, they will, um, thrive anywhere right and then there are are orchids who uh this is the interesting thing about orchids is that they're either thriving or dying so they're either in conditions that are perfect for them but there's or they're they're not but the the thing is there's only a few conditions that that are perfect Mm. like and and so you see this i mean there have been studies um there's one particular study that i'm thinking of which was about home life orchids and dandelions and and like what their home lives are like so if you've got if you study kids who come from uh homes where there is drug abuse or crime or violence or something something terrible right um the dandelions do fine and the orchids do terribly and if you can take the orchids out of that situation and give them a situation that fits them then they thrive like it's it's really this very interesting Mm -hmm. kind of dichotomy and so I think that it but for me it muddies the waters a little bit because you can you can say well not every child 
needs to come out of school or needs a, a teacher that isn't this teacher or something like that. Right. But right, do you, right. I, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I do think that at some point, even a dandelion doesn't have the right conditions. No, it's true. It's know? very true. Yeah. But they definitely have a wider range where they can thrive. Yeah. We always call Thomas our canary because he's the first one that, ex- that expresses either through his behavior or now that he's older, you know, he articulates when things aren't right. And all of us are maybe starting to feel it, but he's already been feeling it long enough and deeply enough to raise the flag. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's kind of similar to that orchid analogy that he yeah he's his, the canary in the coal mine yeah yep yep, yep. uh so I, along these lines uh you have written a memoir and it's about before i knew you and it is called i love this name it's called a pair of sparkly sneakers i'm going to link to it in amazon it is it's in amazon it yes is. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um i bought it from you like i have a you signed did. copy of you it. do so <laughs> um but I'm wondering if you could share, I mean, you probably already have, but if you, if you could share about the events in your life that like became the memoir, because I feel mm. like that's so foundational to like what you do today. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I, I grew up sort of, you know, the good, the good girl. I did everything by the book. I did very well in school. I didn't realize until an adult how stressed out um, and traumatized I had been mm. <laughs> by my own school experience. But um, so because of that, I was very much a believer in do your research, know your subject, and then you'll be fine. And I approached my parenting that way from, you know, even before I got pregnant, I had taken two parenting classes just <laughs> just to be, you know, one leg up. <clears throat> um, and, and I continued with, you know, with that. So after Thomas was born, I, I researched all kinds of things, you know, and always wanted to make sure I was doing everything exactly right. Mm -hmm. And I equated exactly right with the most current research. And so had Thomas and then two and a half years later, I had the twins. Um, That's when our world began to fall apart a little (laughs) bit. (laughs) Thomas was very gentle soul, very quiet. And, you know, our world revolved around him for two years. Mm Then these two babies came into the picture. And at the same time, we were changing our house to accommodate a, a bigger family. So we had to move out of it for 10 weeks. And he was watching. We put on a second floor. So he was watching. His whole house looked different. Mm-hmm. We were living somewhere different. All of the adults in his world were stressed. We were living with my parents who mm-hmm. were helping with the, the infants. Everybody oh was exhausted. Everybody was stressed. You know, nothing in his world looked the same as it had been. And then within a year of their birth, um, my mother was hospitalized. She'd had a, like a health issue. It turned out not to be a big deal, but it was traumatic. It happened like in front of us. And then my father was hospitalized and he nearly died. He had a, an appendix burst wow. at Christmas time. Oh my gosh. Of that year. So again, so much stress. And then my husband lost his job. So... Oh. The adults in his world were just, I, I don't, I can't think of a time that we were ever more stressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I didn't realize at the time was how much that was affecting him. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was trying to keep my interactions with him as normal as possible, but he's a very intuitive kid and he didn't, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, he knew what was going on. He couldn't articulate it too, but yeah. he felt it. Yeah. I, I feel like the vibe, I mean, he must be a kid who really understands atmosphere and vibes without even knowing that he does, yeah. you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So he responded to that by, you know, getting pretty withdrawn 
and also really wanting to just be with me. Mm-hmm. Now, the research I had done, and at this point, I had already decided to homeschool because I had been a teacher. I was coming out of teaching to have him right as MCAS was making its debut. Oh, my gosh. Yes, the curse at MCAS. Yeah. And That's, that is the Massachusetts test to comply with No Child Left Behind. Right. And it's still in practice today. Kids it still is. have to take that test today. So. It is. And um, a lot of classes were being taught to us teachers about, okay, here's what you need to take out of your curriculum so you have time yeah. to put in teaching to the test and test-taking skills. Oh and I remember just saying I'm getting out at just the right time because yeah. this is not what I believe in. So, th- I mean, just to interrupt for a moment, um, Max's first grade teacher, we had our <clears throat> back-to-school night, meet-the-teacher night, and a parent asked her uh, what what's changed since since No Child Left Behind, since the MCAS. And she said, she was lamenting. She said, first grade is big business now. She says, if we wanted to spend six weeks selling, studying salamanders, we used to spend six weeks studying salamanders. If we wanted to, you know, she says, we did a lot more cooking. We can't do those things anymore because we have to prepare for this test. And you could just hear the stress in her voice, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I was glad I was getting out. And I had seen enough (laughs) of it to feel like I knew that I wanted something different for my kids. Mm -hmm. So I already knew I was going to homeschool. And yet... All the research said preschool is important for socialization. Mm-hmm. And so when Thomas was two years, nine months old, I signed him up for preschool so he could get his socialization. And off he went. And he did okay for like the first month or two. And then he didn't want to go anymore. Mm-hmm. And I knew it wasn't the school. It was actually my mother directed this school. Mm-hmm. She had just retired to help take care of the twins. Wow. But So I knew the staff. I knew the school. Mm-hmm. And it was a, you couldn't ask for a better place. So I knew it wasn't the place. Mm-hmm. I was surprised to find out it was my kid because I thought my kid was perfect and then it seemed like maybe he wasn't. You know, and that's so interesting too because I think I, I've been thinking a lot on this recently. We all have these sort of idealized idea, I guess, of what motherhood, what parenthood, what your child is going to be like. Hmm. And then it, you have these expectations and they, they're not meeting them and you're like, what the crud? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And his way of crying out was behaviorally. And I didn't understand because in a million years, that wouldn't have been, ever been the way I approached problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, I can't believe I have that kid, uh-huh. you know, the, the kid who acts out. And, oh, my gosh. Um, but through it all, he was saying to me, I don't want to go. I just want to stay home with you. Mm-hmm. I just want to stay home. I just, and I kept saying, I know, but school is your work right now. It's so important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just not hearing him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, you know, I started meeting with the teachers and they said, maybe you want to have him, you know, evaluated formula formally. Yeah, that's right. You said he was so on an ed he plan. Did. He went, he went through a whole core evaluation and oh my goodness, I, as a special educator, I had sat through those on the other side of the table, yeah, breaking too. the news to parents, yeah. right? It is a whole different ball game when you are the one on it's this on side. You, yeah. yeah. Oh my yeah. goodness. Um, and, but nobody could really tell us much except that they thought he qualified for an IEP. And so would we like to enroll him in the integrated preschool that was you know, offered through public school? So we did that. And we, like I said, we really liked the woman that was going to work with him and felt like she really got him and connected with him. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, this could be a good thing. And then, of course, that all went that didn't south. Yeah. Um, so he, then he went to preschool and start right away. 
didn't have a good experience. I didn't have it. I didn't mm-hmm. right away. I just was like, I don't really like that. Even the notices, the tone of the notices makes it all <laughs> I don't like. But still, I was so stuck with, you know, my idea of this is the right thing. And I've done the yeah, right thing. I've yeah. gotten him on an IEP. I've advocated for him. Um, yeah, like checkbox, check yeah, off, check yeah, off. Yeah, this is exactly yeah. how you do like, it. And it's almost like, it's almost like you want to say to him, listen, honey, I've, I've checked all these boxes. I made a list and I, and I fit every, every piece of you is fit into this list somewhere. So you need to be yeah, so now. what's going on? <laughs> I used to say that to my husband. I'm doing everything the book said <laughs> and he's not doing what he's supposed to now. And I couldn't get it um, until we had that moment where I got the, the call the snowball I, moment. Yeah, and I said, that's it. You know, we're done. And I brought him home and watched him recover. Yeah. I remember the first time he smiled again. It was May. So it had been three February months. February to May. Mm-hmm. And we were outside in the backyard and it was sunny and he was playing on the swing set. And I looked over and he was smiling and it took me aback. I hadn't realized until that moment he had stopped smiling Wow! until he smiled. And I thought, I haven't seen this. I have goosebumps. Yeah. I mean, oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that so, must have been quite a moment. It was quite, I've, I've never, I'm getting goosebumps talking about yeah. it. I've never forgotten it. Um, so then we watched him sort of recuperate from that. And then I had my year of, okay, now it's kindergarten and I'm, yep. I'm Mrs. Nicole, <laughs> you know, um, and that didn't work. And right then is when I met you and I met another friend, Eileen, mm-hmm. um, yep. and both of you, were sort of doing this kind of learning with your children that was facilitated learning. You could call it unschooling. I didn't even know that word at the time. But I could see that it was different from what I was doing and that it looked a lot more like something Thomas would like. That you could do. Yeah. So I think it's so interesting. I early on stopped saying unschooler, which an unschooler, sort of the traditional definition I think of an unschooler is somebody who follows their own interests who doesn't do things according to like the the schedule that's like the school part right but somewhere along the way it's become something else something that I don't like to hear about and don't want to be affiliated with and that is like there's this idea I still can't believe this is a real thing there's this idea that um and if if, you know what if you're listening and this is your thing I, I like write me and tell me like what have I what am I not understanding about it um, we turned out okay.com slash contact, go and do that. <laughs> so this idea that if your child wants to learn about something, wants to, for example, take a class or something like that, that you would say, oh no, because we're unschoolers. And that means we don't do any sort of school. I mean, to me, the whole idea is what do they want to learn about? And how can you get them that learning? Like if I don't know anything about quantum physics and my 14 year old is desperate to learn about quantum physics. Well, we were, we happen to be really lucky when that when that was the case, because we had a, we had a, um, there's a place called the Worcester Think Tank, which had an MIT professor come out once a week and teach classes in quantum physics. And we were like, woohoo, you know, <clears throat> but if it hadn't been that, it would have been something else. I mean, there's this, uh, gosh, there's so much that I, I want to get into. I mean, <laughs> um, that is going to, I think, feel like that's going to be part of our later conversation about like the changing face of education. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea that like, what turns you on, what turns your crank is what you ought to be learning about mm-hmm. kind of a thing. Right, and, um, right. and I also, I really, really, really want to talk about like this idea of parental guilt. I mean, mm. I, I, a lot of what we were just talking, like you were just saying, I've, I've, 
I advocated for you. Like, why aren't you getting better? I've done my part. Mm -hmm. And then when you're seeing that not happening, there's definitely a a sort of sense of maternal guilt or parental guilt. So what I want to do is I'm going to, I want you to think on this subject, this maternal or parental, not maternal, because you know what? I said to just when we were leaving, I said to Ben, or just when I was leaving home, I said to Ben, oh, I need to write down two words. What are they there? I go their paternal guilt. And he goes, oh, I know what that feels like. And, um, and in my head, I almost said maternal guilt. And I was like, no, that's the wrong word. It doesn't have to do with being a mother. It has to do with being a parent. Right, so, right, um, right. so if you think on parental guilt, mm-hmm. while I share a message from our sponsor. All right. <laughs> cool. I'm going to tell you guys about the Ninja Parenting community. It's the community that I created to help you if you're at your wits end uh, with parenting, with your kids, with whatever. Um, Actual questions from the community include the following. What do I do when my child calls me or others mean names? How can I stop the whining? (laughs) I don't like spanking my kids, but what else can I do? In fact, just today we had a member who is, her post was called, Fridays are the toughest days and she's got a new kindergartner who always used to have Fridays. She got to have every other Friday with grandma and now the younger one gets to have Fridays with grandma and she doesn't anymore. And it is just such a struggle for her. And I, my heart went out to talk about parental, (laughs) parental, I don't know if it's guilt, but parental feelings of sadness for your child. So, I mean, these are the kinds of things that we deal with on a daily basis in the Ninja Parenting community. I give the parents and their concrete advice and immediate steps to follow. We go way past mindset and into here's what you can do right now. You'll learn how to handle the toughest parenting stuff through courses I've created, through training modules, and through lots of other resources, including a free download of my book, Positive Discipline Ninja Tactics. Membership gives you access to all of my experience and knowledge as a child development expert, everything I learned while earning degrees in early childhood education and human development, everything I learned working in a fantastic town-run preschool program, everything I've learned as a mom, including my mistakes, because sometimes they're good learning too. Put all that to work for you. Just click the link in the show notes to find out more about the Ninja Parenting community or go to weturned.ok.com. And thank you very much for, for listening to that. <laughs> and um, Nicole Olson, my friend, parental guilt. Yes. Well, the last story I told you is the perfect segue into that because finally I started it by saying I grew up the good girl, the rule follower, the belief that if I researched everything and got, got everything right, everything would go well. And that didn't work with my son. And he has been such a tremendous teacher to me. Mm-hmm. And what I learned and the reason I wrote the book is um, I, had, I had instincts in me that I had learned to shut off in silence in favor of the experts and the research. And when I finally started listening to him, I was able to start listening to me mm. and realize you know, how long was I, was I not hearing him say, I just want to be with you. And, you know, and every time he said that, I would give him a reason why that wasn't okay. And when I finally got in touch with my own feelings, I realized this is a a little, a little, little boy who's had incredible turmoil and who needs the security of being with his mother. And I didn't listen to that. I didn't listen to that for like a year or more. And the guilt that I felt about that Um, part of my writing the book was it was a really cathartic experience. I cried my way through it. Wow. Uh, Yeah. Because I had such strong feelings of, man, I, 
nobody set out with higher intentions than I did. Nobody tried as hard as I did to do it right. Yeah. And yet I, I missed the mark in such a big way in some of my parenting. Yeah. And, you know, and I remember saying to Ted, I've ruined him, my husband. <laughs> I ruined him. He's five and I've ruined him. And, you know, parental guilt, I think, doesn't get any bigger than, than that. that. Yeah, that's <laughs> those three words. <laughs> I had similar feelings once. I had similar feelings, but I think so. First of all, I actually had a year of postpartum depression when I had him. He was my first and uh, it was undiagnosed. I did not know that you could feel some other way than what I was feeling. I mean, I really didn't even recognize it as a depression or as, as, you know, postpartum depression. And, um, not until years later when I was getting pregnant again and, um, or I was contemplating it and I was like, Oh, I I like, I can't do that again. So I talked to my OBGYN and he basically said, Oh yeah, that sounds like postpartum depression. And if you don't want that, you know, we can do something about it. (laughs) Um, or at least we can talk about it. I mean, you know, I did, I did end up on medicine for it and I did see a psychologist for a little while. And I mean, those things really, really helped, but I didn't have any of those with my first. And it was an entire year of why did I have this kid? Oh my God, I'm such a bad mother. I just had that thought. Mm. I don't want to change this damn diaper. Oh my God, I'm such a bad mother because I just had this thought. Mm. I don't want to nurse anymore. I can't, there's no me here anymore. Mm. And, um, it was an entire year, as I think about it, of, of just the most horrific parental guilt. And I spent a lot of his early childhood sort of attempting to make up for that. And I think in a, in a way, it was okay because I was trying to make up for it, not by like, I don't know, buying him everything or, or I, don't, I don't even know what. Like it was, it was good. We had a really positive relationship together. Um, I still, I still feel guilty because I think I put onto him things that I didn't necessarily have to like, um, I didn't, I think a lot like you where I was like, Oh, this is how it's supposed to be. If you go outside of this behavior, then you are in the wrong and I'm going to bring it back by, uh, I don't know, some, some punishment that he didn't deserve. And I don't mean like physical punishment. I mean, like I, I think of it now as almost I like again I hate to even say it, almost like a love withdrawal a sort of like you're gonna sit in your room until you know until you can tell me what you did wrong kind of a thing and I mean there's no feel love my disapproval yes exactly feel my disapproval yeah and I can I like in in later years I would look back and think about this um I took I mean with taking having a major in human development there was a lot of psychology in human development so I took a lot of psych classes and one of them I remember um this woman was from the south and so she would talk about love withdrawal but she always said love withdrawal and she said it in a really funny way and it got to be like an amusing thing in class but like I realized that when I am sternly disapproving of his behavior what he takes is that I'm sternly disapproving of him and um and it really was a form of love withdrawal and that that hit me I don't think he was very old. I don't even think we had Jay yet. We were definitely in the other house. And he said, um, he said, mama, I, I'm sorry or something like that. And I said, oh, you don't have to be sorry. It's okay. And he said, well, well, why are you still looking at me like that? Mm. Like, why does your voice still sound Mm. like that? I was like, oh my God, like, thank goodness he could say those words because it made me realize what I was doing. But I mean, I think we say what we say and we do what we do and then we beat ourselves up about it afterwards. So like the parental guilt would come 
afterwards, I still, I still feel guilty about things that I've said and done mm-hmm. that, you know, that were years ago that they don't even remember. Right. And I don't know if this is true of you, but for me, if, when I do a quick inventory, what floats to the surface is all of the things that I've done wrong that I look back and think I could have done that better. I could mm-hmm. have handled that differently. Yep. Um, what, what I did right, what I did well, the moments I was patient, the moments I was loving and connected, just they don't float up yeah. nearly as it's quickly. It's almost like they don't count as yeah, much. Or yeah. Yeah. And I think that contributes to that feeling of parental guilt because it sort of seems like in a quick snapshot, most of what you did was terrible because it sticks out and it feels so much bigger. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I've, I've worked really hard to get away from that mindset and I've, I've actually come up with a couple of tools that have been, that have been helpful. Um, one of them is just to think, okay, I'm thinking of this as a learning moment. Like I now know something that I didn't know before and I can take this knowledge and I can bring it out into the future. So a few weeks ago, for example, when I told Jay, he'd asked for the 50th time, why do I have to mow the lawn today? Why does it have to be today? Why can't it be tomorrow? And I finally said, I think I shouted. I said, because I said so, you know, and then I said, I said, don't ask stupid questions. And I was like, like, he's sort of in a huff getting his shoes on at the door. And then I was like, what the hell did I just say to my kid? (laughs) So I actually went, I mean, this is like five, 10 seconds later, I went over to him and I said, you know what? I'm so sorry. That was not a stupid question. There are no stupid questions. I said, I think I said that because I was feeling very frustrated. This does need to be done today. It just does. And, um, and I'm, I apologized, you know, do you accept my apology? And he was like, of course I do, you know, but like, I feel like all the years of saying to myself, okay, this is a learning moment, mm. got to the point where five, 10 seconds later, I can be like, wait a minute, I have to fix this now. Mm. <laughs> like the switch mm. that's flipped is not a negative. Oh, I'm remembering all these horrible things. It's like, okay, I have the power to, to do something different right. with this, right. you know, do you ever yeah. do that? I mean, do you ever? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> Sorry, pardon me. And the other thing I try to do is, and it feels a little, um, I don't know, a little like egotistical maybe, so I only ever do it quietly in my head. <laughs> but I try sometimes um, to, to, to take a snapshot of a moment that I'm doing something well. And I say to myself, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll kind of go, this is a moment. This is a good moment right here yep. that we're having. Yep. And I want to remember it. Yeah. And just to kind of, you know, they talk about you need to like say seven good things to counteract. You're one. And, yeah. No, you're one bad thing. Yep. Yeah. And yep. so I've tried to build up a little library for myself oh, of those I love moments. That. Okay. So, so can we have one? Can we have one of those moments? Um, so I had a, I had a moment with Katie where she was, um, she was expressing to me that she had done something that scared me. She had dropped a, a eight pound weight on her foot and then I wasn't home and she had not told her dad about it. And by the time she told me her foot had blown up, it looked horrible. Oh, I was sure wow. it was broken. And I, in my fear said to her, Katie, how could you not have shown daddy that? And she got very quiet and very upset and love withdrawal basically I mean, mm-hmm. she, she sort of said why are you sad at me why and and I said you know what Let, let's let's walk this back what here's what happened I saw that and I love you so much that it really scared the crap mm-hmm. out of me and I reacted to that in, in my in a serious tone with a serious face and um 
and and you interpreted that as me being angry with you, but I wasn't. Mm -hmm. And so next time I'm going to try to remember to use a different tone and a different face. And I want you to remember that when I'm using a serious tone or a serious face, sometimes it's not because I'm angry. And so we should check in with each other. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, that's a good moment because we have been able to build off of that sense. Yeah. 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 And that's the kind of thing that once as they get older and older, and I feel like most of most of our listeners have young children. I mean, they're they're in the like kindergarten, first, you know, preschool kind of age. And now that our kids are older, I, I bet you feel like this too, that it, like the, those kinds of moments have reverberated out to the point where they, they talk to me. I mean, they ask me questions. They like, I, I read a book once it had to do with teenagers, but I felt like it could be anybody, you know, of, of any age, like from zero to a hundred, you know, um, that was about, it was about, like helping your child, not lecturing them. If you say, here's my advice, they back right away, the teenager. Mm. But if you say, oh, wow, like if you sort of validate their feelings and reframe them for them and say, so it sounds like you're saying this happened. Is this, is this what happened? Then they go, yeah. And they like talk about it more. Mm. And then they say, sometimes, you know, I just didn't know what to do. And then you can say, oh, wow, well, I have a thought. Can I share a thought? Mm. Like, so that you're not shoving it down their throats instead of, my dad used to, we, we numbered my father's lectures. <laughs> I mean, we were like, oh, this is the one about, you know, the barbecue and whatever. This is the one about the car. And this is the one about, you know, and, and I mean, they clearly didn't sink in. I, one of my first trips in the car on my own, I backed uh, our gigantic Suburban right into a huge rock at the top of our driveway. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, it didn't matter how many times I got lectured, you know, sometimes mm. I guess you're going to do things like yeah, that. But anyway, yeah. um, and I just, we just had like, this is a very silly moment, but I, I too love the sort of snapshot idea. And a lot of times the snapshots I try to keep are the fun, just the fun, mm. silly stuff. And um, the other night we were at the dinner table. This was actually last night we were at the dinner table and I, how did we get into this? We tried to talk, the kids are now 13 and 17. So they know about, they know what BuzzFeed is, for example. And they're both telling me like, oh, you never go to BuzzFeed. And they're talking about how like BuzzFeed is, it must be for women because they have a lot of these <laughs> surveys about like what, you know, what, what your horoscope says about you or what this says about you or what, what kind of purse style you have and what that says about you. <laughs> right. And um, one of them said, I saw a survey of, what kind of furry are you? Something like that. And I was like, oh, what's a furry? <laughs> and because I genuinely didn't realize. So what I didn't realize is that furries are like, like the kind, like a, like a Barney costume is a furry or like a fox costume or something like that. Right. And now, um, I know this now. I didn't know it last night. Perhaps you already know this, Nicole, that like there, there's an entire lifestyle of like furriness where people sort of wear their furries. And, you know, so my 17 year old is sort of with his head bowed. He's telling me that sometimes the furries don't have like, like a crotch and like, 
<laughs> and the reason that that came up is because what I said was, I said, well, it's all right. I'll just go look them up on the internet. And both, this is what, this is my snapshot. Both boys, no, 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 no. Oh my God, don't do that. You can't, don't, whatever you do, don't look. I'm like, why not? It's just a furry costume. Like, why not? And Max goes to me, well, it's because, you know, some of the furry costumes don't have crotches. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I don't care that this is a crass moment. I'm going to remember this forever. Both my kids, like, they love me enough to say, like, don't even shield you from the furries. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You know, I mean, like, that's, there's so much more to life than, I don't know, what they teach in school, I think. Another snapshot kind of thing I like to, to take is um when finally i i can see like oh it sunk in or it worked you know those moments i had a moment like that in the car on the way home where katie had said to me she's like you know we were going for a walk in the woods at park day today and there were these two six-year-olds and their mom said they could come with us you know like we could watch out for them and i just had to go over to the mom and and say to her you know, I, I know it's fine with you and, and it's fine with me that they want to come. I don't want to exclude them, but I'm only 12 and I don't feel like I'm ready for the responsibility of being in charge of two six-year-olds in the woods. I just, I'm, I don't feel like I'm ready for that. And I was like, wow. Wow. You know, we the I've, girls went over there and said that. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. And I've seen her do that over this past year. We've had to talk a lot about advocating for yourself because she's been in a couple situations talking about comfortable stretches mm-hmm. where she's worked with some people who were not respectful of children, wow. not kind, and how to advocate for yourself and yet remain respectful. And she, so I, I just took that snapshot and I said, it's working. Yeah, she yeah. is. And it's something yeah. I never would have done at 12, you know, and so <laughs> yeah. it makes me like respect her all the yeah. more. Yeah. So yeah. Those, it's like a little moments. sign from the universe that, that things are okay. And yeah. it makes me think too, I'm going to link to this one as well. It makes me think of, a, of a, a conversation I had with a woman named Amy Anderson. Um, we had just been to see Blake Bowles, who is, uh, oh my gosh, he's such a great unschooling personality he he works with teens who actually his so his he went to uh, a school for like engineering some kind of science or engineering and it's like a super famous school it's out in california i can't remember it's caltech or somewhere like that and he gets three or two and a half years into it he's like i freaking hate this and at the same time he had been um he got to know an a quote unschooler a person who who's always been a self-directed learner and he convinced whoever it was Caltech or whoever to let him have, to let him graduate with an independent study degree. That was a, a, a study of how unschoolers learn and like what they, what they do with their lives, you know, like how learning becomes life sort of. Mm. And for him, that's morphed into like his whole, what he does now is he takes groups of teens to like Argentina and, or, or even an American city and, um, and works with them to get settled, to find a job, to learn the language, to, to, to experience life in another country. Mm-hmm. I mean, or another place, or he'll have these month long, like writers workshops for really motivated people who want to write, you know, who want to do that kind of stuff. Anyway, at this, at this talk of his, a mom raised her hand and said, how can I know? He was talking about consent. He was talking about how like, when somebody doesn't, usually we think of consent as, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're consenting, you're signing off on something like in a legal sense. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about nobody, he says, 
I was asked, do you want to go to summer camp? And I said, yeah, you know, nobody asked me, do you want to go to school? Mm. He says, uh, I think that with kids and, and maybe listening, you, you think this is a kind of a radical idea. I don't know. I, I love it. I think it's a great idea. Like that kids should be able to, in some way, give their consent for, for, for their learning, for how they spend their time, whatever. And, um, a mom raised her hand and said, okay, I've got like a four-year-old. How do I know that she's good? How do I get her consent? And Blake said, you know, I'm not qualified to answer that. I'm not a parent. I work with teens. Does anybody in the audience have an answer? And Amy Anderson raised her hand and she said, she said, I can tell, I think when my daughter is not consenting, what she's doing is she's got, you know, months worth of stomach aches or tears or tantrums, you know, her personality changes. I think in effect, your Thomas was not consenting to preschool and my Max was not consenting to school. Like that is, I think that's just such an interesting way to, to kind of look at, you know, your child's behavior and their personality. I don't know. What do you think? Absolutely. I right think our, yeah. I think our children's behavior almost always are telling us something underneath something that's going on that they don't have the words or the framework yeah, to articulate. To say. Um, and when we get, stuck on managing the behavior we can miss the messages that they're trying to give us yeah 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 i i really really see that so i can't our time is so short we've been talking for an hour i know i I could go another three i know me too and it's so funny because i thought i thought our conversation was really going to be like about school quote unquote and the different varieties of it and like i just listened to for example i wanted to share this i just listened to a podcast recently Um, it was a Ted radio hour and it was called rethinking school. And they had uh, a person on talking about how it was Sal Khan, the guy who does Khan Academy Mm -hmm. talking about how he got to do Khan. I have to link to that too. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Ted radio hour. Good pod. When, when the host is writing stuff down, um, Sal Khan talks about how he got started with, with Khan Academy Mm -hmm. And then he kind of gets into this idea of how he called it the Prussian system. Like what we do, the way that we do school is the way that it's been done since the Prussians were doing it in, you know, 17 something. And it's an idea. The idea is to scale the learning. So it's not just a one tutor to, you know, tutor to one student. It's one teacher to a bunch of students. That's how you scale the learning. And what, what he did was with, with Khan Academy, he used to do them on YouTube before he had his actual Khan Academy. Mm And, uh, he started to notice that he did it for cousin. He had a cousin who was like, you know, can you, well, he, he thought I want to teach this girl, you know, I know she can convert units. I'm going to just work with her to, you know, learn how to do that better. And what he was finding is that teachers were writing to him and saying, my students are watching your lectures at home for homework. And then they come to the classroom and we get to do like, community things a collaborative work that that it's all learning but because they had the like nuts and bolts at home I don't have to do the nuts and bolts I can do the things that like that are great to do with a group of students I'm like oh my god that's a whole different I was thinking to myself that is like a whole shift in learning and then um it's got me thinking about like other shifts in learning, other shifts in education. I think, I think homeschooling is one of them. Everybody can do a sort of homeschooling in their own way, which is really neat. Um, there's a guy on YouTube. He was also part of this Ted radio hour. Who's a science teacher who started, he realized that his kids were totally bored 
because there was no story in it. It's like, mm. you know, you got a cell and you got these parts of the cell and you, the cell does this and whatever. So he started telling like stories, you know, like, um, and looking at the diff. So if you got a story about a, a bacterium that is taking over a, a cell and then exploding out of it, like an alien or something, mm. that's a much more interesting story. But you can also look at the different perspectives. You like look at this from the cell's perspective versus mm. looking at it from the bacterium's mm. or the viruses perspective it's really interesting and then um so he started putting these lectures on youtube telling these stories on youtube and and that is yet another way of learning and i just think it's super super fascinating and you nicole olson are you have another one of these and i really i'm so interested in i guess i'm i think this is probably going to be our last kind of you know talking point or whatever our last questions but i'm curious about if you see this continuum of like different educational ideas or ways, the same way that I do, and also how yours, uh, how, how it's called youcurriculum.com mm-hmm. and how that fits in with these new different ways of learning. Sure. Yeah. I think that we're at an exciting time. I really think that education is about to go in a bunch of different directions. I think we're on the threshold. I think enough people are starting to feel like the institution of education that we have in this country is is broken in some mm-hmm. ways and maybe isn't super fixable from the inside and that we need to be thinking out of the box mm-hmm. and more and more people are weighing in on that and coming up with these really creative ways to do it and being so you know wired together um, there's so many more options to us than what we had you know 50 or 70 years ago where you know it was one teacher and people had to go to that physical location and use those physical books if they wanted to get their information. And we just have so much more at our fingertips now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that we're going to see all kinds of different options. And my option, um, because I'm a teacher and I just love that moment with kids where I can see their aha, like I get it, or I love hearing, you know, their take on something. And my own kids are, they're much more independent in their learning. They, they don't do a lot with me in terms of let's really dive into Harry Potter together. You Uh know, that's just not who they are. And so I really wanted to respect that. And yet there's sort of been this like little sadness in me of, I don't get to do that thing that I love. Uh And how can I do that? And yet how can I reconcile that with also really want consent, really wanting consent and and respecting children and trusting that they're going to learn um, what makes sense to them. They're going to learn the things they're passionate about. And, le- and, and in a lot of ways, the learning is their business, mm-hmm. not mine, yeah. to control. <clears throat> um, as an adult, my learning is my own. When my husband was diagnosed with what we thought was celiac at the time, I went on the computer and I educated myself about celiac because I wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. Nobody said to me, now that your husband has celiac, you're going to, you know. It's a good idea for you. Yeah, to, you're going to yeah. do this and then there'll be a test at the end. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that learning was deep and real for me because there was, a, I wanted to do it so yeah. I could, you know, support my yeah. husband. Yeah. And That's so interesting because it's like just, it's a continuum of the same kind of learning. Right. You know, it's from, from the bug field trip. To celiacs. Right. So interesting. Right. And I really felt like, how can I, how can I still kind of have my hand in teaching, but in a way that really respects that I believe kids are, kids get to decide what they want to learn. And so I came up with, um, I came up with you curriculum where 
I offer different things for different people. So I love this. I'm so excited about this. <laughs> and it's funny because I'm I'm least comfortable with the most traditional yeah. route. Um, I have sort of three different pathways. And one is I put together these classes and, um, you know, we do it the regular way. I, I meet with kids live online. We talk. There are assignments. And, you know, there's a lot of choice within those assignments. But, you know, you have to turn in X amount or whatever. And then I'll give you feedback and I'll give you a grade because that's what some home- homeschooling families want mm-hmm. or need for their particular reporting style. Yeah, yeah. So I do that. But I sort of grip my teeth when I do it. <laughs> it's so hard to grade something that maybe, you know, isn't like the best work ever, but that somebody worked really hard on. Right, right. And and again, you know, I'm not in that child's head. Yeah. What they showed me may only be the tip of the iceberg of what they know. You know what's really interesting about that too? I, Jay and I are taking, we are doing together a drawing class. And I told him when we first start, it's called, draw. we're using the book Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain which is a fan, like you do cool that you're trying to disassociate the, the sort of logical left brain. You're trying to shut that off and access the right brain, which is like all about patterns and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So you do things like you draw stuff upside down. So your brain doesn't know what it's Mm -hmm. seeing. Mm -hmm. And um, when I first started, when we first started, I, I, which was just a few weeks ago, I told Jay about this teacher that I had had in college who told me basically that I couldn't draw, that I was a bad drawer. And every time I make a nice drawing or a good, a drawing that I'm happy with, you know, that shows really cool perspective or that like, I, I made a whole book, speaking of Harry Potter, of spells for Max when he was small. And I, they, there's a lot of drawings in there, you know, and they're just silly doodles, but I like them. And every time I make something I like, I think, you know, F you. <laughs> I just think, you know, so I, don't, I shouldn't have even, maybe I shouldn't have said his name. I don't know, but. Um, have been edit that part. Yeah, out. maybe I've been edited that. Out. So I know exactly how you feel. It's like this, um, this, you don't want to pop somebody's balloon, you know? Yeah. I mean, and I think, you know, there is a time and a place for needing to assess. I certainly want my doctor to have taken formal courses and, you know, made it through all the testing. Um, But I don't, with kids, I think a lot of the learning and the connections they're making is very fluid and very under the surface. And I may or may not get an accurate snapshot of that based on what they're giving back to me in in a given moment. So that's one. The one is, that's the formal path. Yeah. Um, The second one is sort of the middle of the road path where same class, same activities and things, but you decide, hey, this interests me. Like, I, I want to do this activity because it looks really cool. I'm mm-hmm. not going to do that one because there's just nothing about that assignment that, <laughs> you know, that resonates with me. And then you decide, do I want my teacher's feedback? Not a grade, but, but feedback mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, I can see you really like, um, I can see this really moved you. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, why it was important to you or just, you know, that kind of, that kind of feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't want to submit it, that's fine. You know, it's your learning. If you want me to be involved in any way, coaching and mentoring you, I am happy to do that. But it's your learning. Mm-hmm. And then the third pathway is entirely independent. And I and I created that because I know a number of unschoolers, my son included, mm-hmm. who they don't want somebody judging their learning. And I don't know if some of that is kids who have like come out of school and maybe have that feel of I want nothing to do with yeah you know yeah don't tell me right yeah um but you know I 
I don't need you over my shoulder. I don't need you telling me whether I've learned it or not. Mm-hmm. I know if I've learned it or not. And my, my son is like that. He, and he took a course that was entirely it was PowerPoint. You do it and then you can then you submit your work. But this was for a grade. He chose a grade. And I remember he didn't do well on like one quiz and he had the option of taking it again. And I said, oh, are you thinking that you will? And he said, I went back through everything I got wrong. I completely understand where I messed up. There's no point in taking Why the quiz take again. Why take it again? Yeah. You know? yeah. So for kids like that, I there it is. Yeah. Do with it what you want. If you don't want to give me anything back, that's that's okay. You, you know what it seems like? It seems like it's an acknowledgement. And I see this a lot with both my boys and some of the choices that they've made educationally. It's an acknowledgement that like what's inside you, what's internally important to you, well, that's what's important. Right. It's not important, right. you know, what I think or whatever. Um, it makes me think of, and I wanted to talk about this a little bit too. Uh, both of my guys are doing wicked cool things. Um, Max, for the first time this year, he's going to, he's getting up early. He's going to a quote school um, two days a week. Uh, it's, it's a self-directed learning center. It's like a community college for high school students. And um, he it's really, it's been very interesting. He's been, he's had some anxiety and it's really been around being in a school, in a school routine. I mean, he's not in actual school. It's a, it's a building that, you know, has sort of classrooms and stuff like that, but it's not, it's not his old school or whatever, but he's been very like, he loves it and he loves going. He's like, I don't understand why I feel this way. And I'm like, well, you know, give yourself a minute. Like you haven't been in a school in a decade, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but he's, he's absolutely love it. I mean, he takes, I think if there's five classes offered, he takes four of them. You know what I mean? And um, he's got friends there and, and he's, he's loving that. It's an hour away from us. So talk about maternal, per, you know, parental guilt, parental pressure. I got to get him there. It's hard. <laughs> That's hard. But, uh, and listeners have heard all about that. Oh my gosh. Like I, that it happens that this last week, which was their first week, he went four days because he, at the beginning you get to choose your classes. So you go every day. And um, I happen to be doing a streamline your mornings challenge with with listeners, people who sign up or whatever. And um, I'm so glad it happened to coincide with that week because it's all about like observation and making sure that like, you know, that that your mornings looking at what they are and trying to figure out. Well, for me, I felt like it was a whole day thing because I, you know, I'd have to be figuring out driving and Mm -hmm. God knows what else. Anyway, um, so Max is doing that. And Jay, for a couple of years now, has been going to a co-op, which has these study groups that really, really resonate with him. I mean, things like, like this, this coming one, he's going to take a class, which is called something like the technology of the stone age or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they're going to like make arrowheads and flint things and, and build fires and, and just do cool stuff. Like that's what turns his crank, you know? And uh, he's always, like, ever since he's been there, one of the first classes he took was in archaeology or architecture or both, actually. And he's judged every class ever since on that because he's like, well, does it have an architectural element? Because that's what I like. And and I'm like, you know, I feel like if I'd been, if he'd been in school or if it was a more traditional learning environment, whether he was in school or not, there's this emphasis on like, okay, I'm going to take what is in my brain and put it in your brain. And I think that's not what you do. And I think that's not what was happening. What is happening with, with either of my guys, like they take out of it what they, what they want. Right. 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 Exactly. Exactly. And the idea that you should 
you should be learning something that floats your boat. And ideally, the person who's teaching it should be as excited about it as you are. Yeah. So like, that's why I did a Harry Potter class. I'm such a huge Harry Potter, yep. like total yep. nerd, you know, and yep. I thought I had the best time putting it together. And I actually do the activities with the kids because I make up activities that I'm like, this would be this fun, fun to do. <laughs> you know? Let's do this. I'm going to, I'm doing one on Star Trek yeah. Voyager because Thomas oh discovered God, that. Awesome. And I'm like, there, there's such good stuff in here. I love this show. And, you know, so I think it, then it becomes contagious. And I've said to Thomas there, he's been working with an online, um, it's, it's an online thing where they offer a bunch of different teachers are on it together and they all offer different classes. And man, if I had had the choices that are on there, I mean, yeah. all, he's taking forensic handwriting and oh analyzing, you know, just yep. st- so many things that kids can take now that are really interesting. Yes. And that's, to me, that's what learning should be. Yeah. And it's so far away from the, the idea of don't you feel like it's so far away from the idea of like standards and rubrics and right? All I that know kind of what stuff. you should know. Yeah. And now I'm going to pour it into you, into your brain. You're going, right. we're going to open up your head and pour it in. And it's right. like, you can see why kids balk at that. You can yeah. see, you know, yeah. And our orchids, I think, balk at it more loudly. Yeah. You know, there, yeah. there are canaries. Yeah. There are, I love that. I'm going <laughs> to, I can't wait to like bring that into my regular life, the idea of, of Max as a canary, because I think he really was, you know, and it's made it better for Jay, because I think Jay, um, had Jay been in school, he would have been one of those kids that was continually being told to sit down and shut up to this day. He, he's a mover. I mean, he can't, he cannot sit still. And, and to, to support that while he was, you know, learning to read and all that kind of stuff. I was so glad to be able to give him the the kind of movement and space that he needed because yeah. he really, really needed it. Yeah. And, you know, there were no red flags because he wasn't reading at six or something like that. And I think that was, that was, we're lucky people, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and the farther away I get from, you know, my own traditional experience, the more I look at it and go, wow, this is so much better. This is so much better. Yeah, yeah. So listeners, I feel like I want to end on, on, I want to just end by saying, I think Nicole and I are united in that we, we're not, we're not saying if you're, if you're in a traditional school or if you're in a setting that like there's something wrong. Would you, I mean, right? Absolutely. I, I, for me, it always comes down to your instincts. Yeah. If your child is, seems like they're doing great. If they're consenting in, in their school, behavior. If they're consenting with their behavior, then that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for me, it always comes down to, you know, what is, what is your own heart telling you? And is your heart telling you that something isn't okay with your child? Yeah. yeah. What is your own heart telling you, which could very well end up being the title of this podcast episode. <laughs> um, I, Nicole, it has been a slice of heaven. <laughs> I mean, I just, I'm so, so grateful that we got you Finally got you onto the show. I feel like this is the perfect moment with you curriculum and with, with just, I don't know, all of our time together. It all happened for a reason. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. yeah. I really, I really, really just so appreciate that you could come on the show and we could have this conversation and, and uh, thank you so much. Oh, it was just my privilege and a delight. (laughs) And I wish it could go longer just because I love talking to you so much. I know, me too. (laughs) So Nicole and I, what we, what we would do is we'd go out for dinner. We'd go to a place that stayed open late and we would just sit and talk. (laughs) 
<laughs> we'd arrive at like we'd be like okay the kids are you know they're all in their pajamas <laughs> let's go out and, and get something to eat and we would be there until they kicked us out yeah, yeah it was great yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta do that again soon yeah yeah we definitely do so you can connect with nicole at ucurriculum.com there's a little about section where you can read more about nicole and what she's doing um you, there's also links from that one to to what's that remind me of the name of the other of your blog unschoolers.org unschoolers.org yeah that's that's a great one too I always loved looking in there and and um because I feel like both both you and Ted would write just really thoughtful posts about like what was happening and and sort of relating it to the wider educational world really fascinating yeah. stuff. and parenting we kind of yeah yeah we went past education and started to really look at you know how are we parenting and are we are we being respectful and all of those different areas yeah. that are outside of the educational traditional education format yeah and lots of fun pictures too i like that <laughs> <laughs> so yes go to ucurriculum.com for nicole connect with me in all kinds of places i am at stone age techie on twitter i'm at we turned out okay on instagram you can go to we turned out okay.com and if you're listening in real time we were just talking about this um if you're listening in real time and your weekday mornings are a mess and you're worried about how to get everybody out the door on time and you're worried about everybody having food in their bellies and you're worried about where's my other shoe, you know, that kind of stuff, join the Streamline Your Mornings free five-day challenge. It starts up in October, early October. So this, this show's going up on Tuesday, the 20, I believe, 6th of September, maybe not, maybe... I think it's 22nd. Anyway, it's going up the Tuesday before October 2nd. And this challenge starts on October the 2nd. The feedback has been great from parents who took the challenge in September, including one mom who joined because they were consistently, quote, 15 to 30 minutes late getting out the door. By the end of the challenge, so like five days later, she and her family were 15 minutes early. She even had time for laundry. <laughs> so it's well worth it. It's free. It runs next week, Monday, October 2nd to Friday, October 6th. With it, you know, when you sign up, you'll get an email in your inbox every day from me that has that day's challenge. You get a uh, access to our Facebook Live challenge group, the We Turned Out Okay challenge group where we are, everybody's in there, you know, posting and, and sharing pictures and all kinds of cool stuff. And there's going to be a live, a Facebook live, ask me anything. I'm going to do that on the last day, the Friday of the challenge. So signups close on this coming Sunday, October 1st. So if you're listening in real time, you've still got a couple days to sign up. So go do it. Please go do it. I can't wait to have you in the challenge. Thank you so much for listening. Nicole and I are so grateful that you have us right now in your earballs. Finally, I have a special thanks to our producer, the man who is currently doing all the chauffeuring around tonight while I get to chat with my friend, the 20-time winner of the Husband of the Year Award, Benjamin Culp. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next time. Thank you for listening to We Turned Out Okay. I want a date to Australia. Find us on the web at weturnedoutok.com, where you'll find show notes and more. What do you call cheese that's not yours? Nacho cheese. And remember, we only go around once. To be the best parents we can be, let's relax and enjoy the ride. I want to pee in the woods. Theater, 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 theater,